Next, this month's special series, Focus on Global Medicine. ReachMD is taking an in-depth look at how medicine is working toward health and longevity for people around the world. Join us all this month for the latest medical research and treatment across borders. Since it was first described by international health organizations in 2006, extensively drug-resistant tuberculosis has been documented in 49 countries. In addition, more than 80 countries are coping with multi-drug-resistant tuberculosis. How are we addressing the rapid emergence of this significant threat to tuberculosis treatment and control programs across the world? You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment, Focus on Global Health. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery and Practicing General Surgeon, and our guest is Dr. Sonia Shin, Assistant Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School. Dr. Shin is a co-author of two research articles published in the journal Lancet and the New England Journal of Medicine, documenting success in the treatment of multi- and extensively drug-resistant tuberculosis. Welcome, Dr. Shin. It's a pleasure to be here. Dr. Shin, could you distinguish and define for us the difference between multidrug-resistant, or MDR, and extensively drug-resistant, XDR, tuberculosis? Sure. Multidrug-resistant tuberculosis, which was first described in the early 1990s officially, is defined as resistance to isoniazid and rifampin. And these two drugs were chosen to define this criteria because they're the most effective first-line agents to treat tuberculosis. Extensively drug-resistant TB, or XDR-TB, is a strain of multidrug-resistant TB which has additional drug resistance to the most effective second-line drugs. So just as isoniazid and rifampin are the most effective first-line agents that we would use to treat TB, the strongest agents that we have to treat multidrug-resistant TB are the fluoroquinolones, such as the ciprofloxacin or moxifloxacin, and some of the injectable agents. And these two classes are considered the most effective because they are bactericidal, so they kill the tuberculosis. So XDRTB, by definition, is already resistant to isoniazid and rifampin. In addition, these strains are resistant to the fluoroquinolones as a class and at least one of the second-line injectable agents, which are canamycin, amikacin, and capriomycin. Well, how and why did the mycobacterium become this resistant? Well, it's, I guess, sheer evolution. From the time that the first agent was introduced to treat TB way back in the 50s, which was streptomycin, even at that point, they were observing resistance because anytime you give a drug, you can have spontaneous mutations of the bacterium such that they have some kind of a mutation that allows them to be resistant and you know, not killed by the medication. So resistance, I think, is you know, pretty much sort of a natural evolution of any bacterium. What happens in TB is that, in general, we try to use a combination of therapy. You know, so for first-line TB treatment, you would use, say, four drugs. But in certain cases, if not enough drugs are given or if there's already some resistance so that not enough effective drugs are being given, it allows that bacterium to continue to mutate and select for additionally resistant mutations. Why did you choose Peru and Russia, those two countries, for your studies? 
We've been working in both sites to provide programmatic assistance to treat multidrug-resistant TB. We started in Peru in 1996 when we first found that despite the fact that Peru is considered you know, a great TB program, a very model implementation of the WHO endorsed strategy to treat TB, they were coming across cases that they were describing as chronic TB cases, you know, folks that just weren't getting better over, you know, treatments and treatments and treatments. We found that these patients had, you know, MDR-TB. So it was kind of, you know, unearthing sort of an undocumented epidemic of multidrug-resistant TB in the community. And from therein, we started to become involved in trying to provide technical assistance. You know, how do you bring the drugs into the country? How do you figure out, you know, how to set up a laboratory system to diagnose drug resistance? And what kind of clinical training do you need to help the pulmonologist treat this particular type of TB? And then from there, actually, Peru has been very successful in adopting MDR-TB treatment as part of their own program strategy. And we've pretty much, you know, phased out our clinical role. And now we're just continuing to do research on some of the remaining questions, such as XDR-TB. In Russia, it was similar. In the 1990s, as you're probably aware, the fall of communism caused a lot of upheaval, both socially and also in terms of the medical system in Russia. The population of vulnerable people became even more displaced. Um, A lot of people were being thrown into jail, and they were finding that there were the sort of really kind of scary numbers of MDR-TB, in particular in the prison system. So they kind of contacted us, and they were interested just based on the work that we were doing in Peru to come out there and provide technical assistance. So starting in 2000, we became involved in work in a certain place in Siberia called Tomsk, we started again, you know, providing clinical supervision and now are continuing to be involved in the research. What about the United States? Do we have this problem here? There is documented XDR and MDR-TB in the United States. And actually, you know, some of the lessons that we learned and applied to both of these settings were things that we learned from the early to mid-1990s in New York. In that period, they kind of came across this outbreak of MDR-TB in particular among HIV positive people. So like, you know, folks that were in the homeless shelters, in the prisons, they were seeing that there were these outbreaks of institutionally transmitted MDR and with huge mortality. And it took an enormous amount of resources into the public health system to reinvigorate the TB services and get MDR under control, which they did successfully. So since then, the United States has been, you know, much more vigilant about monitoring MDR and addressing it quickly. So for those reasons, it's not as much of a problem here in the United States. Any other countries that have a significant problem with it? In general, I'd say that the three places with the highest burden overall of MDR-TB are the Russia and former Soviet Union countries, China, and India. And the stories are a little bit different in these places. In Russia and the former Soviet Union, as I described, the rates of MDR, so among all the TB cases, the proportion that are drug-resistant are high. In fact, the highest documented in the world. In China and India, that proportion is not necessarily that high, but the population of you know, absolute numbers of TB cases is so high that the number of MDR cases is also very high. So those three regions constitute sort of the bulk of MDR-TB. I'll also mention that what we don't really know very well is how bad the problem of MDR-TB and XDR-TB are in Africa, and in particular in sub-Saharan Africa. You know, adding HIV into the equation really changes things dramatically. It changes 
how quickly and how easily TB is transmitted, and it changes the consequences in terms of morbidity and mortality. But the problem is that because these are such poor countries, the surveillance data that we have, you know, sampling specimens to see what rates of drug resistance we have are just not as complete as other regions. If you have just joined us, you are listening to a special segment, Focus on Global Health. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and our guest is Dr. Sonia Shin, Assistant Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School. We're discussing successful treatment regimens for multi- and extensive drug-resistant tuberculosis. Dr. Shin, what were the results of your work in Russia and Peru? Well, you know, it's interesting. They showed similar findings, but there were some differences. So in Russia, and we're talking about Tomsk, Siberia, we had a cohort of about 600 patients, and all of these patients were getting treated for multidrug-resistant TB. And of those, about 5% of them had XDR-TB. When we compared outcomes, the outcomes of the XDR-TB cohort were worse than the non-XDR folks. So we had a cure rate of about 48% among XDR patients, whereas the remaining MDR folks that did not have XDR had a cure rate of about 67%. In Peru, the cure rates of the MDR cohort were similar. So in Peru, this is a cohort of a total of 650 patients. 7.5% were XDR-TB, and actually the outcomes were comparable. So in the XDR group, the cure rate was 60%, and in the MDR group, it was 66%, and this was not statistically different. Now, your research has drawn quite a bit of praise for how well organized it was. How did you make it work so well? Both programs took a very similar treatment approach. The first thing was that the clinical management of these patients tended to be very aggressive. We treated with as many drugs as we could possibly give. We used sort of maximum doses, and in some ways it was sort of like um, the philosophy was similar to chemotherapy for a cancer patient. I mean, you notice that the cure rates for the MDR patients were not, you know, phenomenal. Two-thirds of the patients were cured and a third were not. So this is a pretty difficult disease to treat, and we tried to get the doses of medications as high as we could, you know, sort of titrating to toxicity. We had aggressive side effect management. We also used surgery for both of the cohorts. How did you finance this? It certainly must have been a remarkable amount of funds required. It was. You know, to begin with, we started in Peru way back in 1996 with a small group of patients, and that was financed through a private philanthropist, Thomas J. White. And when we started to realize that it wasn't 10 patients we were talking about so much as maybe 100 or 1,000, we realized, okay, we have to get serious about funding. Sources came from different places. At this point, money comes through the Global Fund, which is an international consortium that provides funding to treat AIDS, TB, and malaria. During this period, however, both of these cohorts are before the Global Fund really came on the scene. The Peru cohort was primarily financed through the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation that provided, you know, at that time, a pretty, you know, phenomenal amount of money to really prove that MDR-TB could be scaled up and done well at the national level. And that was sort of the kind of the mandate placed upon us to show that this can be done in Peru and that you could also replicate findings in Tomsk. So Tomsk was also in part funded by the same Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Did you anticipate the degree of success that you had? We did. You know, 
I think as a clinician, I always sort of want to do better, you know, so it's sort of the glass is half full or the glass is half empty. Uh You know, there's two thirds of the patients in the overall cohort that are cured. There's still a third, you know, that are not cured. And this is MDR. In XDR, you know, in the TOMS cohort, it's about half and half. You know, so on the one hand, our outcomes are good. They're comparable to other countries, even upper-income countries like the United States and Europe have comparable cure rates. But on the other hand, you know, what it tells me is that we need better science. You know, we need better diagnostics and better drugs because we're still talking about a third of MDR patients and, you know, up to a half of XDR patients in cohorts without HIV that are not being cured. Now, you mentioned about HIV and that the results certainly are worse when someone is HIV positive. How does HIV complicate issues? Well, I'll tell you, the reason XDR came upon the scene was a report that came out of KwaZulu-Natal in South Africa. And it had about 50 patients who were XDR-TB and they were HIV co-infected. And the really sort of scary thing, the thing that sort of made the international community wake up was that people died very, very quickly. You know, so within several weeks, this cohort was dead. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you think wow. about TB as a consumption, like a yes, slow disease, yes, but I mean, yes. within several weeks, they were dead. Before they even had the drug resistance test back, the patients were dead. You know, and there obviously there are other differences in the cohorts, you know, in terms of possibly, you know, how aggressive the particular strain was and whatnot. But really what it probably comes down to is primarily the fact that people with HIV and in particular longstanding AIDS have lower immunity, they often have lower nutritional status, and without antiretrovirals and aggressive treatment, it's going to be very, very difficult to cure XDR-TB in HIV patients. You know, as a clinician with medical staff, do you have to take extra precautions when you're dealing with this resistant bacteria? We do. And just imagine, again, you know, sort of like thinking about sub-Saharan Africa, where a lot of the healthcare providers are HIV positive themselves. You know, it's a scary situation. One of the things that XDR-TB has done is raise awareness about the importance of infection control. And that takes money. It takes money to rebuild hospitals or improve hospitals, to institute policies, to, you know, wear protective masks and whatnot. But that actually is becoming more and more... I guess, you know, sort of the norm in resource-poor settings, whereas when I first started to work in Peru, you know, we'd go into these places, into the hospitals, and nobody was wearing masks. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Sonia Shin. We've been discussing successful treatment regimens for multi- and extensive drug-resistant tuberculosis. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and you have been listening to a special segment, Focus on Global Health, on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at ReachMD.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. And thank you for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Global Medicine. For a program guide and a complete list of shows, please visit us at ReachMD.com and download ReachMD's new iPhone app, Medical Radio, to listen to the same live stream of ReachMD medical news and information you enjoy on XM160, plus CME and thousands of searchable podcasts. Download Medical Radio today.